This podcast was sponsored by Mutual Insurance Company of Arizona. Mike is the select provider of medical professional liability coverage for the Maricopa County Medical Society. For more information about MICA, call 602-956-5276 or visit www.mica-insurance.com. Hello, this is Dr. Ann Maiden. I'm a board-certified pediatrician that has been practicing for almost 10 years. I have worked at a federally qualified health center and more recently through different telemedicine platforms. I'm also the vice chair of pediatrics at Midwestern University's Arizona College of Osteopathic Medicine. And I'd like to welcome you to the Arizona Physician Podcast. Take care and enjoy. I would say that most of us agree that a program that allows for uh, safe reporting of conditions uh, without, you know, from a non-punitive perspective or avoiding public disclosure uh, about a physician's diagnosis, we would all like. Welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is Edward Araujo, Communications Coordinator at the Maricopa County Medical Society and Managing Editor of Arizona Physician Magazine. I will be your host for this episode. In this episode, we welcome Dr. Monica Faria, a private practice psychiatrist from Arizona Professionals Health Program. Dr. Faria is board certified in both general adult and addiction psychiatry. She is also serving as the president of the Arizona chapter of the Society of Addiction Medicine, where she emphasizes prioritizing health and wellness in the healthcare professional community. She was also recently featured in the winter 2021 issue of Arizona Physician Magazine. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Freya. Thank you. Let's discuss your time in residency. Was your treatment by those meant to positively guide you in that part of your medical journey the cause of your depression and rise in suicidal thoughts? I would say that the social environment in which I was in at the time during my residency was definitely a part of what um, fueled my depressive symptoms. It wasn't the only thing. So as a general surgery resident in her second year. I was working at the time on average 85 to 90 hours a week because I was in a community outside of Arizona. I didn't have a great support system there. And I also uh, felt that at in the workplace, specifically with uh, some of the attendings and other residents, it was a, it was a very uh, difficult environment to navigate in. Uh, For myself personally, you know, I was, um, felt like I was uh, very different culturally. This was back on the East Coast. So uh, I came, you know, I came into it with a different background. I was a minority. I also felt that some of the things that I had seen in so far as the the work-life balance that attendings had out here in, in the West Coast, in Arizona, those things weren't in that academic institution where I went to for training. So to give you an example, that first year, um, about seven of us started uh, going into second year, there were maybe uh, five. And then within that second year, shortly thereafter, there was another person who, who sort of took, took time off. So it was very common for residents to take time off and or to ask for extensions in their program. I did feel that I was not the most popular kid on the block. In other words, I was, you know, I was not performing my best. I was very stressed out. I was very nervous, was often agitated. And uh, some of the 
you know, some of the bullying, I would say, I, I hate to use that word, but I can't find any better word to describe it. Some of the bullying that was occurring within the department um, directly towards me was just impacting my sense of esteem, which when someone is depressed, that is probably one of the major things that you see is, is low self-esteem and hopelessness. Um, I remember, I remember the time that it rose to the level where I thought, wow, this is a big deal. There have already been weeks of, you know, being sort of verbally denigrated, I guess, by attendings or, or other residents making comments. But I was in the uh, operating room uh, and in my second year, you know, I was assisting a female surgeon. And I recall moving on over the table, you know, we'd already scrubbed in, meaning we'd washed our hands and put in, put on sterile, you know, layered equipment, gloves, gown. I moved to my right and she was, uh, to my left, she actually, she pulled me and then she pushed me. So it was a, it was a physical assault, <laughs> basically. And I remember just being shocked at this. I mean, it, it was one, oh, wow. I wasn't going to change anything. You know, I wasn't going to what we call contaminate the, 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 the table or do anything, but she was just so, I think, you know, she was just on me. She, she didn't like me. I remember the way she talked to me, the things she said, but that specifically, you know, the act of shoving me was, you know, was a aggressive. And I just remember I, I had to leave the room. Um, in retrospect, now I had a panic attack, you know, at, at the time I just, I told people I couldn't stop crying and they took me to the director's office. And then from there, they took me to the psychiatry department. That's actually how I ended up <laughs> getting help. Um, and I, I, I remember for the next few hours, I was talking to a psychiatrist about how things had escalated as far as how I was feeling day to day. And that was when it dawned on me, like, wow, this is not normal. And I just remember as a resident, really not having the, I think the insight or, or maybe, you know, it wasn't anywhere around me that these things aren't normal. It, it almost, I think, it, and I don't think it's just for surgery residency. I think it's a lot of other residencies. I've seen a lot of, you know, healthcare professionals in my, in my career so far, taking care of oneself and having a good support system and being able to say something's not right is not something that we're taught in medical school. In fact, we're almost taught the opposite. I'm glad to see that in newer generations that's changed. But yeah, that's a long-winded answer to your question of whether <laughs> those who were uh, meant to positively guide me in, you know, in my residency, uh, whether some of what they did and said contributed to my depression and, and suicidality. Absolutely, that did occur. Do you, do you feel that um, you felt more of the hazing and or bullying from those attendees and the, um, the higher ups much more so than from your fellow peers? I would say it was about the same. You know, surgery is a five year training uh, uh -huh. residency. And I would say that from the senior uh, residents and maybe even the fellows who would have been continuing, you know, under their sixth and seventh year, it, that sort of talk was common because at that point, you know, they're almost an attending and they've almost, you know, they, they talk with the attendings very much. They're seen as attendings. So it was about the same from what I recall. You had a difficult time uh, becoming a physician uh, due to the lack of understanding by the medical board that physicians can suffer mental health issues yet still be very effective at their jobs. Can you share a bit of that process uh, to becoming a physician? Yeah, I think it's, you know, my understanding is that medical boards are, are there to to protect the public. That is, is such a needed um, service that it's difficult on their end to sometimes ensure 
that a physician is doing doing and has done anything you know in his or her responsibility to maintain their health whether that's physical health psychological health etc so at the time i don't know if you recall but at the time that i applied for a license the specific questions did not delineate anything about depression and you know i had i had checked myself into the hospital i had been in the hospital for one to two weeks and i had you know since then returned to arizona it'd been over a year since that had occurred and I had seen a psychiatrist. And so the board, um, when I initially applied, I did not put all that information down. So I omitted information, number one. And number two, I, you know, I guess I misinterpreted one of the questions because I didn't read into that specific question whether depression would be on that list. It, it said bipolar disorder, it said psychosis, but it didn't say anything about depression. So that was that was largely my fault. I mean, there would have been a chance to call the medical board and speak to someone, you know, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this right now, you know, what, what's what's changed. But if I would have had the chance to really just kind of ask somebody and, and share this stuff and see, you know, do you need all of that or not, maybe strategize with them, it wouldn't have been an issue. But the medical board assumes that people uh, should disclose and will disclose anything that's pertinent. And so when they see that a person hasn't been fully cooperative or transparent, they're going, you know, they're going to assume the person has something to hide. And unfortunately, uh, many people do hide uh, mental health issues in a day and age where things are changing a little bit. Um, you know, if, if a physician does have a history and has been able to prove to the board that this, you know, this condition is under, um, is, is managed appropriately, appropriately that they're uh, under longitudinal care with an appropriate care provider. You know, this is a, a condition that's managed. The person may not be symptomatic. They may be safe practice medicine, but that, that requires a conversation to go on. I see. You know, and so I feel like that conversation wasn't, I, I, didn't, I wasn't able to have it. Right. So it, wasn't, it wasn't available to you at that it time. It wasn't available, correct. All right. Well, after the break, we will return with Dr. Furia and discuss physician wellness and the state medical board's physician health program. This podcast was sponsored by Mutual Insurance Company of Arizona, the select provider of medical professional liability coverage for the Maricopa County Medical Society. As a physician-led mutual, MICA has been Arizona's choice for medical professional liability insurance for nearly 45 years. We provide value to members with superior claims handling and exceptional risk management programs. Call us today for a quote or visit our website to learn more about MICA's premium coverage options and outstanding service. 602-956-5276 or www.mica-insurance.com. Bureau of Medical Economics has been servicing the account collection needs of the medical community since 1951, with nearly 70 years of experience in this industry and proven results. We proudly consider our clients, your practice, an invaluable business partner. There is no obligation and no upfront cost. Please give us a call at 602-252-3469 for more information. Welcome back to the podcast. We are joined by Dr. Monica Faria, a board-certified general adult and addiction psychiatrist. 
Dr. Faria, uh, physician wellness is very important to you. Where do you see the physician health program today from where it was when you first became a physician? And what program changes do you recommend? Great. Well, thank you for asking that question. That has been asked in a similar manner in the past. And what I see happening that's the most different is that uh, the board does work with more contractors to do assessments. So the question of whether someone is fit to practice and or has a diagnosis that needs to be further evaluated and, and treated. That is what those ass- assessors are there for. When I first went into um, the application, you know, the licensing process, there was uh, one contractor, really two people that did those. And um, it was, it was very difficult. It, it felt like I didn't really, I just knew I had to go somewhere, right? Um, there wasn't much conversation about what to expect or um, what this, assessment would entail. What I notice now is that the board has uh, put on their website some of these resources, as well as, you know, just when they send the emails to the clinicians, they're very clear in like, this is what you have to do. These are your options. So people have more clarity in terms of the process. They have um, more options uh, from assessors. There's, I believe, six to eight persons on that list. And then uh, when it comes to choosing a, a monitor, there's also more than one option for that too. So there's that. There is, um, from what I noticed, the board's physician health program has uh, persons working in it that are trained to do, you know, like proper investigations that are trained in the language of, of mental health and addiction. There's specific certifications they obtain for that and conferences they attend. Again, at firsthand, I've seen, you know, some of some of my colleagues that I work with in, in this specific area at those conferences. Um, and I would say that the, the third thing that's happened is that the, the board has opened up PhD a physician health program subcommittee that really takes a look at the state of the current program and over the past uh, two or three years has been really brainstorming how to improve it. So I would say that most of us agree that a program that allows for uh, safe reporting of conditions uh, without, you know, from a non-punitive perspective or avoiding public disclosure uh, about a physician's diagnosis, we would all like that. We would all like a uh, place where people can be possibly identified, referred to treatment, and ensured that they're receiving treatment through monitoring. And other states have that because of the logistics of, you know, how the laws are written in each state and how the physician health program exists, whether by itself, with the, a, under the uh, medical board, perhaps as a part of a medical state like society, um, you know, every state is different. So we're taking a look at how Arizona could be best served with a program that has multiple stakeholders, right? We have several right. perhaps organizations uh, input uh, that allows to, it, it continues to be allowed to, to serve the primarily the medical board and it's known, right? So if, if you're a hospital um, director or yeah. say critical care, and one of your staff or one of your colleagues you notice is, is suffering or you're hearing you know rumors from nurses about impairment so that it's pretty clear what you have to do right, right? while preserving the integrity of that person's you know health as far as their privacy goes their ability to get help without jeopardizing their ability to stay licensed mm-hmm. and you know just to 
be able to make sure that you did the right thing. I think when it comes to uh, some of us physicians seeing signs or, or symptoms of potential impairment, it's not really clear what, what the next best necessary step is. So I, I think those things could make a big difference. In your point of view, is the physician health program's rules and regulations put in place to help physicians or to help patients? Uh, I think both. There's so much literature out there that shows that persons that are um, managed through monitoring. So monitoring, most people think of as just drug and alcohol testing. Mm-hmm. But monitoring can be a little bit more. It can be meeting with, you know, a monitor who serves as a, sort of a, a coach, right? Okay. Um, it could be also meeting with, say, a pain management physician or, or a psychiatrist or a therapist. Mm-hmm. It could be making sure that um, your, you know, recovery from drugs and alcohol is, is part of your reason for monitoring. It could be making sure that you're attending a certain number of meetings. So all of these things ensure that over time, a person is doing the things that have been shown to help that disease, right? So um, I think it helps both because when you help a doctor get back to a healthy state, the patient care will improve. So there's been so much research on how physicians' health and physicians' emotional health and wellness affects their ability to care appropriately for patients. Everything from, you know, how much they're sleeping <laughs> to their proneness to make, making medical errors or uh, burnout, which we know can uh, be sort of the gateway for depression, anxiety, substance use, that can affect errors, it can affect patient uh, and physician interactions and the sense of the quality in that relationship. It can affect job satisfaction. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. I would encourage people to take a look at, um, I've mentioned this, FSPHP before, it's a Federation of State Physician Health Program. They have a lot of literature on this. Uh, the AMA, Steps for Wellness, also has a lot of things on the on, on these issues. How can physicians influence the medical board to make the, those necessary changes to that PHP? Well, definitely writing, you know, writing to um, the board specifically is a great way to, to make your concerns known. The PHP subcommittee meetings are held regularly. If you go to the medical board's website and go to uh, consumers, I believe, okay. and then you go to the meetings, there's a section on, on meetings, like the, the schedules, and there's a section on the, the minutes. Under the minutes sometimes will be the specific uh, meetings with the anticipated, uh, you know, the agenda for a certain date. So direct involvement with the board, I would say, in, you know, also the the national organizations that uh, I've mentioned, FSPHP. Locally, I know that, you know, MCMS is Mm -hmm. really has been a strong partner and an advocate for for some of some of these discussions. Uh, The Arizona Psychiatric Society, the Arizona Medical, um, you know, ARMA, Arizona Medical Association. I mean, I don't mean to like draw more. <laughs> I mean, AZ Sam. So Arizona Society of Addiction Medicine that I've been a part of for a while. Yes, that's great. We also have a, a you know significant amount of interest in this. So I would say most medical societies have really looked at this as an area where physician partners and members can can help you know help help get a united voice and a front because some of these things have been studied. They've been looked at in other states. You know what makes a quality PHP? How can physicians better um, obtain the medical care that they need without stigma or worry about, um, you know, it's not just licensing, it's really uh, what some of some of our own colleagues say, it's a very competitive (laughs) type of, 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 um, of area to work in. Thank you, Dr. Faria, for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more, please call Dr. Faria at 480-561-0141 
or you can reach her at her website, ArizonaPHP.net. Everyone, don't forget to subscribe and listen to the Arizona Physician Podcast on your favorite platforms, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, and even YouTube now. Founded in 1892, Maricopa County Medical Society is a strong, collective physician voice. Thank you for listening to the Arizona Physician Podcast.